Our scripture tonight comes from Mark 1, 4 through 11. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Amen. Thank you for reading that word, Allison, and thank you uh, to the band for leading us tonight. Uh, My name is... Keith Case, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Providencia, and I hope that if you're uh, visiting tonight uh, for the first time or you're joining us online, that at some point you'll get to know some of the musicians up here that play. Uh, In my time of of worship and my time of kind of uh, growing, and especially as we talk about embodiment, this is like our theme for the year about uh, embodiment, um, I now... Uh, realize that I'm not just led in worship by the voices, um, the people singing. Not, and I'm not just led in worship by the words of the lyrics, but I'm led in worship by the melodies and tunes. Uh, by, by Chris over here just doing a little extra something just to like, you know, he's saying something to me through that guitar. And then Earl over here on the drums, for whatever reason, sometimes Earl on the drums takes me back to the high school marching band days. Do you guys ever have a high school marching band? And, and for me, the high school marching band was the, the drummers. Those were my guys. And they would, I would dance down the streets, win or lose, after a high school football game because of that music. And so, uh, when, or because of those drums. And so Earl, like, tonight, I was just like, whatever the song was before that last song, I was just, I was, I was riding those drums with you, Earl. So um, if you could, Jordan or Danny, whoever's up there doing slides, go back to the song we sang before uh, the last song we sang. I do not know the, word, the, the names of the songs very well here. Uh, but, but if you go back to that, there's some lyrics that I want to hit on here in a second. You don't, no rush, no rush. Um, but again, my name is Keith Case. We're so glad you're here. Uh, happy 2021. We really thought this year was going to be different. Uh, we, we were really hoping, you're really excited, you take a deep breath, like New Year's resolutions, okay, you know, uh, really just going to be a nice slide into this vaccine and, you know, things are going to calm down here a little bit and, and they didn't. Um, and so it's been, it's been a wild time, right? And as Drew said, uh, the scripture for this Sunday, uh, coming from the lectionary that, you know, we planned long ago and before we planned it, it was planned by the people who planned the lectionary, uh, that we'd be talking about baptism, that we'd be talking about baptism. And it's really important as we come to this idea of baptism, what does it mean to be embodied in baptism? Um, That that we understand that every week when we come together as a community, that that we're not just coming here as individuals, that we're coming here as a community, as a body, together, 
And that here together, we're coming back to our baptism. Uh, We're coming back to essential things connected to our baptism. Uh, We're coming back to this king and and this kingdom that is connected uh, to the one who is baptized in the scripture we read tonight. Um, Do do we have that song up there? Danny, did you guys find it by any chance? Um, There was this thing about being wonderfully made. Uh, Yes, when I doubt it, Lord, remind me. I'm wonderfully made. You're an artist and a potter. I'm the canvas and the clay. We could probably just leave it at that tonight. That that what this king is going to end up saying to us, what he's going to be declaring over us, if the world could only hear it, if the world could only hear these words. Uh, my, my friend Chuck DeGroat posted a quote by T.S. Eliot that most of the trouble in this world is caused by people who just want to know they're important. And to think if people could actually know that I'm wonderfully made, that you're an artist and a potter and I'm the canvas and the clay. So we're going to be unpacking this tonight, this whole idea of what does it mean to be embodied in the baptism. Um, on, on Saturday morning, I woke up and I'm in this group chat with like 18 people and they're all surfers or trying to be surfers. We're all learning, we're all at different stages. And they were saying Palm Beach had waves. And you have to understand that for me, surfing during quarantine has become like this escape. And it's been this time of really connecting with my son. We've had a lot of fun out there surfing. And Saturday morning, I get the text, Palm Beach has got waves. So I'm already psyched. I'm already pumped. I'm ready to go. Uh, I've got to go wake up my son, get my coffee. You know, we got to do our thing. We're going to get to the beach. We're going to catch these waves. We're going to have a great time. And, um, and then there was this voice from the wilderness that came to me, referencing our scripture that we read tonight. This voice from the wilderness came via text message. And it said, good morning. We're so excited that you'll be joining us today for the story group Soul Care Retreat. It was the voice of Sarah Claire texting me, reminding me that at 10 a.m. we were going to have a soul care retreat at our church. And I had totally forgotten about it, even though it was on my calendar. Maybe it was something about this past week that my brain was not fully functioning. But I was just like, okay, wow. And... Um, I can't even, I don't even have time at this point to surf before the soul care retreat. And uh, when I woke my son up, he reminded me that I promised him that I was going to take him surfing that morning with his friend, Nick. So <clears throat> not only am I not surfing, but I'm going to have to sit on the beach watching my son surf and his friend surf uh, while I'm doing the soul care retreat. And so the voice of the one in the wilderness calling me, turn off your notifications, Keith. Separate yourselves from any distractions. Try to be in a quiet place. Guys, I was laying in the sand dunes of Boynton Beach Inlet uh, by myself, watching over the grass, my son and his friend surfing, as Sarah Claire invited us into this time of reflection. And it wasn't like, you know, a time of like, we're going to reflect on the positives of, of, of 2020. It was, let's talk about, what 2020 was really like for you. 
Let's talk about what 2020 was really like. Just find three words that would define 2020 for you. So we had to pick our three words. And then we read the scripture from John 10.10, 10, which, which talks about the, the thief that comes to seek, to destroy, to kill. But that Jesus came to give us life. But what we focused on was the things that we lost in 2020. Now, on the Enneagram, if you know what the Enneagram is, I, I'm a seven and, and sevens, we like to live up here. We like to live in the positive world. In fact, in some ways, you could understand it as we like to live in the atmosphere. And, and one of my kids asked me this past week, they said, Dad, how does the rocket come back into the earth after it's been in outer space? And sevens who've gone through sobriety, we know this really well, okay? It's kind of like you're coming through the atmosphere and you think your whole life is going to fall apart coming back down to the realities of planet earth. And the ship is just shaking as you're coming back through the atmosphere, back down to reality. And that's what Saturday morning was like for me on the beach, was having to be still. Not escaping uh, through surfing, which I, I love surfing. Surfing is really fun. And, but this was time for me to sit with the realities of 2020. Uh, what I had lost, uh, what 2020 had done to me. Uh, what, what 20, how 2020 had affected me, uh, my family, our church, our, our city. And <clears throat> the invitation that was given to us uh, by Sarah Claire is that she actually, as a prophet uh, in that work, is, is calling us into a space that she believes on the other side of it we're going to find life. She believes that though we might pass through death as we come back through that atmosphere, that, that as we ground ourselves, as we immerse ourselves in the waters, that, that we are going to find life when we come forth from them. So thank you, Sarah Claire, uh, for leading us on Saturday uh, in that story group retreat. And, and if you're interested, I think the PDF is still on our website so that you could, you could do that this week, find some time uh, to sit with that. <clears throat> but this whole idea of us having to face these losses and face fears uh, for our life, and it really brings us into this space of trying to face the things that, that we need to know through our immersion in baptism. And there's three things that <clears throat> we're gonna hit on tonight. Immersed in our new citizenship, when we talk about baptism, that word immersion, uh, we're immersed in our new citizenship, in our new power, and in our new uh, narrative, our new story. Our new citizenship, John the Baptist, he's one of Jesus' relatives, uh, he's out in the wilderness, and he's calling the people from the Galilean, uh, Galilean countryside and from Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city, he's calling them out into the wilderness to this desolate place. And he's calling them out there to do this thing. He's calling them out there to, to be baptized, to be immersed into repentance. That they would be immersed in the waters of the Jordan River in repentance. And, and that word for repentance, okay, is that word for turning away. Uh, when, when we talk about immersion, when he talks about baptism, uh, John is doing this with these people in the Jordan River. He is conjuring up in their imagination these people these Hebrew people he's conjuring up in them the story that they know of their forefathers their 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 foremothers the people before them their ancestors who made the journey 
out of slavery through their baptism in the sea into the wilderness, into the desert. That God redeems them from their slavery in Egypt. This man Moses takes them through the sea into the wilderness. And that they are going to be involved in this same type of journey. That they're going to be giving up their citizenship as slaves to Pharaoh and to the Egyptian empire. And they are moving towards a new kingdom. Towards a new citizenship. Citizenship. And what happens to them, and I've said this so many times here, I know that those of you who have been around have heard me say this. What happens to the Hebrew people, as soon as they get set free from slavery, they have crossed over the sea. They're now out in the desert. The craziest thing happens is they start actually wanting to go back. They start thinking, man, God brought us out here to kill us. Is this some kind of joke? And we can think that. We can think that as we, as we think about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to walk with Jesus. Because to walk with Jesus is an incredibly vulnerable thing. To walk in that citizenship is a very vulnerable thing. Why? Because we are not protected. We are not defended by swords and ammunition. We're not defended by uh, powerful politicians. That is not our defense. Christ says that we look to him that he is the one who will lead us through. And that's very vulnerable. For the people passing through the sea to look on both sides, to knees, knees to be trembling as they walk into this new way of life that they have not known for 500 years. Their people have been living in slavery for 500 years. They do not know this new way. God is going to have to lay it out for them. This is the new way I'm calling you into. The new way of life. And John is calling the people in Israel. He's saying, hey guys, come out here. God is calling us into a new way of life. It's a new way. And for us today, that our citizenship is not ultimately in an empire or a nation or a political party, but that our citizenship is in Christ and his kingdom. So that you feeling unity, you should feel the most unity with your brothers and sisters around the globe who are joined in worship today of Jesus Christ. Whether that's in Afghanistan, Iraq, Japan, China, uh, Russia, wherever that is, he says, those are, those are the citizens. Those are uh, your family. That is your, the body of Christ where you belong. That is your citizenship. And that is the application for us as a body. That that is our prime uh, citizenship. And what is the way of this kingdom that we are citizens of? I would encourage you to look at Isaiah 61. Look at look at. Uh, what Jesus declares as his ministry as a king, that he's been anointed to preach the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to visit the prisoners, to bring healing to the sick, to read the Beatitudes, to read the ways of Jesus. And then you will be able to see his kingdom at work in this world. He says to seek that kingdom. 
to seek that kingdom because that is our citizenship. There was a man, maybe many of you saw it, um, from this past week who went into the Capitol building. He was a part of, of the group that went in. And, and he was the man who ended up in Nancy Pelosi's office. And he ended up in Nancy Pelosi's office uh, with his feet on her desk. And he, he said in an interview that he actually didn't mean to end up there. He was just looking for the bathroom. Uh, but he got pushed in there. And, and so this picture of this man uh, sitting there with his, his feet up on the desk. And, and then uh, he left a note for her. Uh, on her desk with some profanity on it. Uh, some derogatory uh, profanity on it. And he said that in the interview, you know, that, that is my office. Uh, that is my desk. I'm an American citizen. We own that. The taxpayers paid for it. It's mine. We're letting her borrow it. And from a political stance, you might say, well, I actually agree with that. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you agree with that. Maybe it's like, yeah, that's, that's the way politicians should be working for us. And this way in which that this man uh, uh, took on uh, this, this posture in that office, um, you know, I, I wrote about it. I, I posted it on Facebook. And I, and I said, you know, the, the insanity of what we witnessed today uh, you know, we saw uh, nationalism and, and racism and violence on display in our capital. And, and as a white uh, evangelical pastor, the crazy thing for me is that I've lived so much of my life without realizing how some of those pieces are a part of the birth of this nation. That I have lived with this exceptionalism as an American that we're the greatest. We're the greatest. I happened to go to a high school that, that really encouraged that as well, that I was the greatest as a man. And through my journey with Christ, he's, he begins to bring those things and kind of tear those things apart in the best way possible. And, and some of my friends were, were giving me accolades online on Facebook, and they were thanking me for posting this. And, and some of them began to text me. And I didn't say it on Facebook because sometimes I post things on Facebook, and I just want to leave them. And I like, why did I post it? I just want to run away from it. Uh, but so I didn't comment at all on this one. But, but one of my friends, um, who happens to be a black man, he texted me, and he was thanking me for it. And I said, you know, there's three reasons why I, th I say those things online. The first one is for the young people. The young people who are watching, who are seeing the violence, they're seeing the nationalism and racism, and they're seeing the symbols of Christianity mixed in there together. And I say these things to be crystal clear with them that that is not the way of Jesus. And I encourage them to read the Beatitudes because I want young people to see Jesus clearly. Then they can make a decision if they want to follow him or not. But there's so many obstacles, there's so many clouds, there's so many things clinging that are being mixed in. The second one is I say it for onlookers uh, who are victims or those who have never been in the church. Uh, but, but as a victim myself of abuse, it's very important for me to speak out for victims. So I say it for them. I never could see the victimization that's happened in this nation until I became a victim. And thirdly is I resonate with the man in the chair who's got his feet on the desk. That's the land I come from. 
I'm a, I'm a son of the South. I grew up in that narrative. I clung to my whiteness, to my maleness, to my nationality as power. And it's still in me. And part of the reason I speak it is repentance so I can get the poison out. Because it's not the way of Jesus. Our power immersed in our power, this new power that we have in Christ. John, he comes out, he wears the clothes of poverty and powerlessness. And he eats the diet of poverty and powerlessness, locusts and honey. I love honey, but not to live off of it, right? And he's out there, he, 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 he looks probably like he has no home. He is a displaced man. And he puts himself again at the feet of Jesus and he says, there is one coming more powerful than me. Again, he's talking about power. But there's one coming who's more powerful than me, whose laces or whose uh, sandals I'm not unworthy of untying. That word unworthy can also refer to power, like he doesn't have the power to do it. Um, John is like depowering himself. He's depowering himself and, he, and he's coming to this place where he says, I am not worthy of even untying his sandals. I'm not worthy of untying his sandals. And now here's this image. When Christ comes, who has all the rights of the world, Jesus is coming down. He has all the rights of the world. He owns everything. But he doesn't storm the capital. Uh, he doesn't go cr cr crashing into Jerusalem. He doesn't go find Caesar's palace and go sit himself down and prop his feet up. No, he, he comes to the gates of our hearts. He comes there. He gets down on his knees. He, he, he takes on the posture of a servant. And he washes our feet. That's the power of Jesus. That's how powerful he is. That he can dismantle the heart, the human heart. He can dismantle the walls around it that keep it from love, that keep it isolated, that keep it trapped in violence. That that's the power of Jesus. And what's so crazy for John the Baptist that he will realize in, in Christ, the fullness of Christ, is that while he says he's not worth, worthy of untying his shoes, Jesus will say with his life, John, I see you as more worthy than me. That's crazy. Jesus is like, I see you, John, as more worthy than me. You are so worthy that I'll give up my life for you. We can't imagine a God who would do that. But that's who Jesus is. That's who this God is. That he would come and give his life. That he would take away the wrath of sin for you and I so that we could be empowered to go and love.
to go and love. This is the power of redemption. In baptism, we have a new citizenship, we have a new power, and we have a new narrative. When, when I first started studying counseling, and this is going to be a gross overalization, so, or generalization, so uh, please forgive me, but when, when I first started counseling, I basically divided counseling into two schools, and it was really the two schools that I'd been exposed to, cognitive behavioral and psychoanalytical. And cognitive behavioral, here's the gross uh, simplification, is uh, essentially... I have a negative thought, I'm a loser, and uh, when I go to counseling, I tell my counselor that, and they say, okay, well, we're going to replace that negative thought with a positive thought. I'm a winner. So every time I think I'm a loser, I'm going to tell myself I'm a winner. Now, behavioral, uh, cognitive behavioral, behavioral uh, therapy is, is just the same, just with replacing behavior, so negative behavior, positive behavior. Um, so... Effective uh, form of counseling for certain things in different stages of life, but that's mainly what I had seen presented to me in the church. Uh, mainly when I would go to church, I would hear a sermon, uh, and that was good. It had, had a, some healing uh, aspects to it. The other, though, was a psychoanalytical, and the psychoanalytical was, well, uh, you're, you're just trying to switch the behavior or the thinking without understanding the roots. So really, we got to talk about mom and dad. We got to talk about your family of origin. So, so then you get into uh, your story, you start unpacking your story, and, and you realize, oh, you know, the reason I think I'm a loser is uh, because my uh, third grade math teacher told me I was a loser. And you're like, oh, that's, that's where it came from, right? And, and so you just talk about that. And that was kind of my understanding of psychoanalytical counseling. You just talk about it, and you just keep talking about it, and you keep talking about it. And this was a thing that happened for me as somebody who is studying theology and got my a master's in divinity. And then I studied counseling and got a master's in counseling. And these worlds kind of came together. And I realized that in, in both of those schools of counseling, there's beautiful things. But there was something more that I could offer to people as, as a Christian, as somebody who had uh, been kissed by Jesus, been held by Jesus, who had heard the words of that song and believed them, that, that when I was with people and as we got into the wounds of their life, that I could embody for them in hearing their story and being with them in their story, that I was in a way embodying the realities of that song. And that I could speak those things to them. And this is what happens uh, with Jesus in his story. That when Jesus goes down into the water, when our king comes forth from that immersion, the, the water is kind of ripped open and the heavens are ripped open and the heaven and earth kind of kiss, they meet, and the Spirit says from the Father, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And that those are the restorative, healing words, the story, our story, that Jesus is going to speak over us as his body and as his community in our baptism. That when we are baptized, that we are leaving the way, that narrative, that we are a slave, that life is all about survival, 
that there is scarcity in this world. We're leaving that behind, that I have to claw my way to the top, that I have to hold on to my nationalism, to my racism, to my uh, whatever it is, that I can let go and I can move into this vulnerable way, this vulnerable story that's being written, this new way. This is the way that Jesus calls us into. This is the new story he calls us into. That we would immerse ourselves in that identity that you are his child in whom he is well pleased. That would soak into your muscles that it would soak into your bones, that, that in this church that there would be space for you in story group, in, in counseling, in community, wherever, to be able to talk about the realities of your life, the wounds of your life, and that that balm would be able, be able to apply to that space at the root of our lives, that there might be healing there. Because I believe it transforms the entire life and it transforms the community. Let us pray.